Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 30 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today, we've got Dr. Spencer Nadolsky joining us. We get into an array of topics today, including how weight loss is not a guarantee of happiness and how that topic is more complex. We get into some of the issues surrounding extremism around the health and any size movement, how to navigate that. Spencer's got a big following on social media and he gets a lot of really ludicrous comments. So how he navigates that stuff. Uh, we get into talking about successfully losing weight and the people who do that, what do they do differently? Where the statistics are kind of grim on that. We get into Spencer's uh, business model where he's doing doctoring over the internet, to put it simply, and how that's maybe going to change the industry. Uh, stay tuned and enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It's Andrew Coates. Dean Guido's here with me, but uh, we're not that important when it compares to... Uh, we got a different kind of professional here from the fitness universe today. So we got Dr. Spencer Nadolsky joining us. And uh, Spencer's a medical doctor and osteopath who specializes in obesity. Uh, but let's start it simple. Spencer, why did you choose to deal with obesity? Yeah, it's kind of a, a fun, cute little story. Basically, uh, I use nutrition and exercise science to get good at sports when I was in high school. Uh, ended up getting a scholarship and, and did pretty well in wrestling uh, at UNC Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels. But what, what interested me most was using that science to help more of the general population as opposed to improve performance in like athletes or physique athletes despite looking like kind of like a bodybuilder myself uh and obviously a, a wrestler and football player i wanted to take what i thought would only be a fraction of that would be needed to prevent and cure chronic disease so i went to medical school with that uh, mindset of like fitness as medicine and uh, you know, I was kind of choosing between endocrinology and family medicine. Ultimately, I chose family medicine and then obesity medicine because I felt that I would be able to get people before they would be ultimately referred to like an endocrinologist, like end-stage type 2 diabetes. So I really like the idea of obesity medicine because it, it hits you further uh, earlier in the spectrum of the chronic disease model. And all you need, you know, so guys on the internet and and the fitness fanatics, most of what we, you know, what we'd consider ourselves, all you need is just a small fraction of that to then implement with patients and you see amazing things happen. Instead of just getting a small little ounce of fat off your abdomen to see maybe a, an ab vein or something like that, <laughs> you, you get just a 5 to 10% uh, weight loss with a, a patient that has some excess weight and then all of a sudden they're off their medicines, their knee pain goes away their back pain goes away the reflux and uh even like things like sleep apnea start disappearing and it's just much more fulfilling to me personally some people really love working with athletes and getting them to perform better but for me personally it was it's just much more fulfilling to see that impact on, on like a general population person so that's 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 ultimately the the, the gist of it which well, we, that's a noble <laughs> way, that's a noble pursuit and and hopefully it's something that makes a great difference in 
as you gain more reach and traction in the industry and you've gained a lot of reach, you'll be able to positively affect more people. And then the fitness professionals that are following you, they'll learn from that example and your lessons to hopefully help a lot more people across North America and maybe the world lose some weight and see all the host of uh, health benefits from that. I just like the fact that he's like all the other, well, I'm not going to say bros, but it all started with trying to get good at sports to get that scholarship. And then you fell yeah, in love. No. <laughs> It's, it's funny. So like you testosterone magazine, uh, you know, the biotest bros, T mag that's, I mean, that was, that was all I had back in whatever it was, 98, 99 to 2002 when I was in high school. And so like guys like John Berardi, uh, Dr. Serrano, if you guys remember him, he's still around, um, but not as prevalent on social media. Um, and, uh, even, you know, even guys like Charles Poliquin, who, you know, of course, I don't necessarily <laughs> like some of his obesity views, but um, you know, the, the training principles and things like that um, really propelled my uh, interest in, in getting better at sports. Um, so it, it's kind of an interesting thing. And so the other thing is what you mentioned is helping other trainers is I kind of fell into that. It was during residency about five, let's see, five or so years ago where I saw this kind of Internet fitness world. And with a lot of trainers and, and very smart guys like Alan Aragon, of course, teaching trainers science-based uh, nutrition. And I saw this this need for a physician in that space because there there weren't any. And the the other the ones that were kind of around were, you know, they're into pseudoscience really. They're you know they're they're zealots in in some sort of way. And so I thought, well, geez, there's not a, a physician in this um, in this arena. So I should be that guy. And essentially, I you know. You became are good guy. friends. Guys. You are that guy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I became good friends with Alan and and of course guys like Brad Schoenfeld and, and now Lane Norton and uh, Brett Contreras and so he and of course Jordan and all these other guys you have on your podcast and and the idea is hopefully you know and I've seen I've seen a difference. So a lot of people just kind of thought of it as obesity as like just kind of a a willpower eat less move more which essentially eat less move more as we talk about is true to that's that's what it comes down to but uh, meeting the patients where they at understanding the complexities of obesity of why it's so tough having a little bit of empathy not too much empathy too much empathy can be bad but a little bit of empathy for those with a lot of excess weight and understanding why it's so hard and then just meeting them where they're at and then helping them through the process so I, i've seen it a change i don't know if it's directly from me but i, I think i've had some sort of positive impact there it's all you we'll go with it's all we'll, we'll just go with your we'll guest so we're gonna obviously say oh yeah it's all you <laughs> perfect just take credit perfect. for everything absolutely why not <laughs> um well you're the doctor <laughs> that's what i'd be like i'm the doctor yeah. are all the other people doctors well so is dr oz um, and yeah yeah that, that's yeah. are you saying he's doctor he's not dr oz you're not dr oz. that's kind of what he's implying that he wanted to go in a different direction from the people like dr oz yeah but dr oz is like filthy rich hmm? so is he that is success is that he's he's helped yeah. a lot of people yeah <laughs> so actually I've, I've i've struggled with uh i think many people struggle with this actually at the fitness summit in kansas city it was like three or four years ago and uh the question became 
if you had a chance to go on Dr. Oz, if somebody asked us this at the panel at, at the end of the conference, if you had a chance to go on Dr. Oz, they asked everybody, Brett, me, Alan, all these people, James fell, I think was there. And, God, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people answered, no, I would definitely not. I think Brett uh, said definitely no. I'm not sure what Alan said. I'm pretty sure James fell said definitely no. And it, I, I, struggled to answer it at the time because look i mean think about your reach when you go on dr oz the problem is they have editors and they can basically make it out to show whatever they want to show so if you come in with this strong science-based opinion and disagree maybe with what uh their views are that that may not go over well and you may have you may be pushed in a certain direction so i i don't really I, i think i'd probably take them up on it um but uh I, I don't obviously agree with most of the things that are said. I, I don't think we should be spending our time pretending like we can talk to ghosts and read the future and stuff like that, uh, of course. But um, I don't know. So it's an interesting thing. And, and of course, I believe that Dr. Soul, or Dr., not Dr. Soul, Dr. Oz sold his soul for, uh, you know, the kind of the um, our, our Hippocratic oath and all this different thing just to make extra bucks. And that's that's ethically, I think, even if I made millions of dollars, it wouldn't be worth it. Well, you'd have to navigate the ethics and morals and like tailor the message so that it gets on the show, but then like somewhat like Jedi mind trick it so that you you trick everyone to believe your stuff, which is good stuff. And that's that, that'd be hard to navigate without them editing it out. The other thing, it, it would be. I, I think it would be, and uh, that's that's the reason that I've kind of gone back and forth. Like, well, would I? It would be it would be great exposure, but is that worth it? What, I don't know. What I'm you not would sure. do is have... you would just flash the double biceps and, and like just talk the shit with them. Don't actually say yeah. anything that would put you in a bad situation, but enough that people would go to your site right. and listen to you. That's yeah. what I, I think. I would draw do. listeners to you, just to you, and the fact that you're jacked. Then yep. throw them with the signs. <laughs> I think I think that would be reasonable. Yeah. That's kind of what I've actually thought. Yeah. Too. So I could be a doctor. See. Figure, yeah. Figure it out. Well, I think the thing, and this comes up. This actually come up in several episodes as well. When we'll sort of take down these charlatan types who have huge followings, it is still really important to understand why they're where they are, how they got there. They have this reach, and you know, it kind of goes to well. Actually, let's use a great example of that video of you and David Avocado Wolf <laughs> saying hi to Martin yeah. McDonald, which was fantastic. But I saw John Goodman's comment, and, and it was a poignant one, how he made a point of saying, like, well, Wolf didn't care. Like, he was oblivious to the joke, but he's just happy and smiling. And this is a guy who has – he's a dangerous fucking human being, but he still is out there doing his thing, doesn't give two shits about what we're doing. There are lessons in how these people operate that people yep. in the fitness industry can take to hopefully grow – broader reach. And I think there are a lot of examples. We mentioned Jordan Syatt. I think Sohi Lee is a perfect example of this. Someone like Mark Fisher, Brett Contreras, they are starting to gain more mainstream appeal now, larger followings and audiences. And I think so are you. And in doing so, we have a, a much, much better way, ability to affect greater change overall. And hopefully that we can see the people like those names that we just said start to have the same kind of recognizability as a Dr. Oz or a fucking David Avocado Wolf of all fucking people. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's so funny is that like I, I saw him, I was like, I recognize him by his hair and I don't follow him enough. I just see people commenting about him all the time. And I don't follow him enough to go, 
holy cow, I hate that guy. Like there are certain people that I just, I, they trigger me because they say things that are in my wheelhouse that are just completely false. Well, you know, someone posted a few things in that thread where I posted that video and I didn't, I didn't realize some of the just complete, not, not even just batshit crazy, <laughs> but like dangerous, like basically implied that the guy from Florida who shot everybody in the school, which is just absolutely tragic and horrible. He basically implied that maybe big pharma was involved because he was on medicines and it's like, Oh my God, like, come on. And so like, <laughs> and maybe instead of putting my arm around him and laughing, I should have put him in a chokehold, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't really have an answer for that, but um, I, I, I agree. There is, they have an advantage they have an advantage because the crazier and batshit crazy things you say that have maybe some small bit of truth to it that can polarize people. When you start learning about marketing, is that that's you know these are essentially things I've started learning about. When you start polarizing and pulling on emotions, uh, and when you have no scruples, that's when you can go viral and really gain like a cult like following. So it's unfortunate that that's a part of human psychology, but um, I. Th- I think there are lessons uh, to be um, uh, learned there uh, that we can that I'm I'm trying to figure out. I, it's not something that can go viral quickly, but I think it's something you can build uh, build a business around and build a marketing strategy around. Um, and, go ahead. I was going to say we've got one of those locally. I'm not going to name him, but anyone listening will probably know what I'm talking about. He got. Brad Schoenfeld found this guy and he gets on with some really crazy shit and posted it. And of course, this guy found out. So then he just sent his followers into Brad Schoenfeld's page and it turned into all a war for a day. And this is an example. This is how guys like David Avocado Wolf get started and they just have these crazy fucking extremist views, but it draws in crazy to them. Are you talking about the snake diet guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I, I saw that because I. I, He's I from here. Like, what the fuck? I could not believe the people that were coming on there. And it was like, oh, my God, they're, they're out of their mind. And it's like, look, that's great that fa- whatever the diet is, it's fasting and whatever. That's great that it worked for you. But, you know, there's certain principles behind why it worked for you. And just understand that and just don't be crazy. Man, these people are just nuts. But that's that's how you get these people. And they, they'll be uh, very passionate and, and have your back. I mean, that's how to build a cult, well, I guess. Well, and the, the weird part, and we've talked about this all the time is that like, usually the crazies or we will call them crazies, the people who do like the weird shit, like they're like appealing to certain human psychology and they're getting, they're getting famous and big. And like, honestly, they're more famous than a lot of the people we have on the podcast, just from the simple fact they've done something fucked up or weird. They showed their body in a weird way. It's like, how do you tap into that without losing your ethics and morals? And I think that there's a spectrum. And oh, I gotta, Mark, we talked about it with Mark Fisher, yeah. I think. But it's just, you have to navigate that and then not sell your soul at the same time. And yeah. But when you do get to that level, that's when the real change happens. Because the people with the biggest impact or the biggest reach, <laughs> for whatever reason, happen to be the Jillian Michaels, the Dr. Oz's. And honestly, even this, I think the Snake Diet has more followers than anyone on the show. Oh, easily. Like yeah. He has like a million Probably. or something stupid. No, nothing. It was like it was like seven hundred. Like it was a crazy amount. Yeah, and I've run into this guy in the gym, and you know what? The, the the problem with taking this guy on, there's a couple of things. James Fell and I talked about this stuff. Is one you legitimize him, yeah, and then it draws more people into him. 
And then two, one of the things is, as you saw Brad's page, is no one needs to wake up with a headache of having like his followers go in and, and invade your page because it's, it's just ridiculous shit that goes on. And it's not even worth devoting the time or the energy to try to combat that kind of crazy stuff. So I'm just not interested. Even just mentioning him is, is probably risking enough of having him <laughs> go nuts on us. But it's it's just a headache that no one needs to deal with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like the name, though. Like, <laughs> it's flashy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's some backstory to this one, but I'm not going to get into that. Or, you know, yeah, we're not going to talk about a stupid. Let's back. move on. Let's let's go to the actual questions now, instead of just trashing on Doctor Oz. Yeah. Basically, you're better than Doctor Oz. You're bigger, bigger biceps. You just need to get on the show. Next. Exactly. Um, we believe a lot of people kind of like with this view that weight loss is the missing ingredients to, I guess, their overall happiness. Can you kind of talk about the dangers of this type of thinking and just kind of some insight onto the underlying issues that pe people may need to address to, I guess, more or less achieve their happiness? Yeah, I mean, happiness is a, is a, is a finicky topic because it's, it's – some people make it a goal and, and that's – we have to accept that we're not going to be happy all the time. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fleeting moment. Uh, we can be content at sometimes and we're going to be sad at times. So making happiness a, a goal, I think is problematic from the get go, but here's what many patients think when they come in. If only I lost 20, 30 pounds, maybe a hundred pounds, maybe it's more pounds. I would just be happy now losing that weight. So Ultimately, I'm, my goal is hopefully I help them do that. It's not everybody successful. I can't claim that. Um, but I, I feel like I'm, you know, high percentage will, higher percentage than average would, uh, am helpful for them. Uh, once they do lose the weight, it's, it, it ends up being a slippery slope because maybe things don't look the way they expected to, or, or maybe they do. Maybe there are a percentage that go, you know what? I feel great now. But I find that the percentage is actually much lower, and it's and it's like you know I'm just this is good I feel better, but I'm just I'm still not happy, and it and that wasn't the, the weight wasn't necessarily impeding them from happiness. It was something else. It was yeah. fulfillment in their life, and yeah, they have a little bit more confidence, and 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 that helps in some sort of way, and they maybe don't have as much pain or something less. Uh, uh, you know, or maybe just pain all over the place, but it wasn't the overall happiness that, that, that they got from losing the weight. And, um, it's, it's one of those things where I just, you have to have a conversation. Like I would only be happy if this, and it's like, okay, well, why don't we back up for a second and start looking at other things as well? I, I don't know if you guys have kind of dealt with this as well. Like, like if only I grew my biceps another, or my pecs were this, or my legs, or whatever, or my squat was this, my bench was this, I'd be happier. Deadlift, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, deadlift. Uh, and and you know, it's just it, it's not it's those things are great, and I think they would help maybe with your with your life. Um, but happiness is a whole different thing altogether. And I'm no psychologist. I have to learn a little bit about this type of thing in medicine, and I have to put many hats on because I'm a general practitioner along with uh being a an obesity specialist too so um i'm not formally trained in psychology but i have to know it in order to you know be think, good for my isn't people. it like the the dopamine release so like every little success you get a little dopamine release and then the delayed gratification of like a big goal let's just say weight loss or for me like a more than 700 pound deadlift is good and it's a big bang of it but then 
then the real you have to fix the real problem at the end of it so you'll the the feeling good is fleeting more or less yeah exactly so i i, I don't know if you guys have had kelly coffee on the oh, yeah. um oh yeah oh yeah on, on the podcast so she so she kind of does a good job of, of explaining she talks about her deep pleasures and i don't want to you know basically <laughs> i don't i don't want i don't want to uh ruin her message but essentially these little fleeting uh small little uh, uh superficial pleasures you know say like eating cake and ice cream or or losing five pounds maybe that's these are like little fleeting small little pleasures um, and, and feeling and looking better, but there are deeper pleasures at, at, uh, at stake here. So what I, I kind of frame it in more of this kind of acceptance base and, and value therapy where what you value is not a, is, 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 is a different from a goal. So like your goal may be to lose a hundred pounds or 50 pounds or whatever, but what you value is, is deeper than that. You value living a long, longer time. So you have, have less pain to be able to really hang out with your, your enjoy your kids, um, be able to go for a walk or something like that. So these, these, the values are, are different than the actual like small little goal. So that would be similar to what I, I understand what she's explaining, what like a deeper pleasure is. And so these fleeting moments of happiness are, are a lot different. And so, and people, um, think of happiness in different ways it's not like we're always going to be cheery with a big smile we know some people like that and they're probably kind of crazy but uh, uh <laughs> maybe having a maybe reframing and thinking more in values or deeper pleasures um different than happiness uh would be helpful i wonder if dr oz is happy sorry <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> not every night he's probably rolling his money yeah roll it like scrooge mcduck jumping in his freaking tubs of money all i can think about when you're like yeah they're people with the big smiles on their face are the crazies and then i'm like dr oz is crazy he must be happy too yeah yeah i mean you see big smiles on his face yeah Ah, well this is the one i was actually kind of enjoying thinking about and uh, setting loose so this sort of thing tends to we get into this extremism i'm sort i'm fumbling the question a little bit so I'll, i'll try that again this sort of thing tends to lead to extremism that becomes a sensational headline. Uh, we recently saw a comedian attack the British Cancer Research. Uh, they had a campaign. A comedian called it fat shaming uh, for a campaign that provides information about the increased risk, uh, cancer risk of uh, associated with obesity. How do you approach the misinformation that some within the health at any size movement provide to people? and their attempts to silence discussion about the health risks associated with obesity. Well, you got a few, you got a few angles here because you have one side that's saying, Oh, obesity is bad for you. It's going to kill you. It's like smoking. And, and that picture that they showed is like, you know, if you have obesity, you know, they put the little blank spaces there. That's a, after smoking, that's the biggest risk for cancer. And then on the other side, you have uh, the health, healthy at any size or at every size or whatever, basically saying there is no risk to having obesity type of thing. Either one. So telling people that your obesity is going to cause you cancer, that may scare some people into trying to lose weight. But like, ultimately I find that that's not the biggest motivator. Uh, And people are kind of like, well, 
you know, that's kind of a long-term consequence. Uh, maybe that's not going to happen and it's not as, you know, clear cut as say smoking is, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, so we have, I, I, I don't think that that's the greatest messaging and I know what they're trying mm -hmm. to do. They're trying to use scare tactics in order to help the public. They're trying, they're trying to help. It's not like they're, and people are saying that's fat shaming. I don't call it fat. That wouldn't be fat shaming. Fat shaming is, is making fun of these people, um, for being like calling them lazy or something like that. Uh, and, and basically using obesity to, to harm their character, you know, making fun of their character and, uh, as opposed to just spouting off, you know, facts. So there are facts that, yeah, having excess weight puts you at risk for, you know, fill in the blank, uh, condition, disease, whatever. It, there's, there's not really any question about that. We have so much data to show that. Um, so then the health at any, every size, I think is also, is d more dangerous than, than the, the people putting out facts that may or not be effective. Um, some people think that it may be harmful to, to say these things that's possible. Um, but I, I think it's, I think the health at every size can be dangerous. It, it, if it was used the, correctly, I, th I think the right way to use the health at every size would be like, look, you won't probably statistically speaking, you will probably never get back to, you know, uh, this perfect little weight that you were in high school or college. That's statistically speaking is probably correct, but you can be healthy if you, you know, lose five to 10% of your weight, keep it off and you stay active and you start eating uh, a more nutrient dense, uh, uh, diet and have a healthy diet pattern. And you may never get back down to that weight, so let's not shame you for that. Let's make sure you're healthy at that size, whatever that is. Instead, what I think it's turned into is that, no, it doesn't matter what, what you weigh. You can have as much weight as you want and still be healthy. And that's, that's, that's not true either. You know what I mean? So I, I see both angles and it's like, well, why don't we take, you know, more science-based approach and say, look, yep, it's a fact that obesity will, you know, give you a higher chance of, various cancers that that's well established, but maybe putting that on a public, um, uh, sign is not the, the, the best way to, um, uh, get the message across and help people. Uh, that's, that's kind of my stance. And do you really think that they don't know that at this point? Like, is that it, maybe I'm ignorant to the fact, but like, I would say people probably know it's bad for them, <laughs> even in like the yeah. very simplest form. Like it's obviously not a, they don't fucking know it's bad for them problem. It's, think, it's another problem. I think people are, most people understand that you increase the risk of heart disease. You increase the risk of, you, of having high blood pressure, uh, your blood sugars, elevated diabetes. I am not so sure that people actually understand that there is a relationship between some cancers and obesity. So that, that particular campaign was geared that way. And I actually agree with Spencer. I'm not sure it's necessarily the right approach of things. Oh. But I suppose there's always the argument too, well, it's socially acceptable to put up such information about smoking. And but yet, why is it not socially acceptable to have the same conversations about obesity? Right? So these are tricky conversations. Yeah, you know, and James James Fell wrote an article about it. I, you know, I briefly skimmed through that, and he he brings up some good points about. I just I, I think it's just a whole different bird, like obesity versus smoking, um, because smoking is essentially just one behavior, right? 
obesity is complex in that it, it it's it's not uh, inhaling a, a harmful substance. It's 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 an energy <laughs> imbalance which plays into our everything we do during our day. Uh, and so it's many more decisions versus just whether you smoke or not. And yes, there is overlap in the in the brain, in the dopamine systems and the uh, nicotine systems and things like that, and the reward pathway in the brains. But I think obesity is much more complex in that it um, uh, that it, it is it's kind of apples to oranges. Um, and the other thing is, look, I mean, if, even if we wanted to compare apples to apples, let's just say they're apples to apples. Um, just because even if shaming worked for smoking, uh, they talk about how, whether it did or not, I, you know, I don't actually know the data on that too well, other than some people have claimed that it worked well for smoking, but I've read some other conflicting evidence. We, we then could just look, well, does doing the same thing for obesity work? And what we find is that it, it doesn't. So that's where it's like, well, it works for this and not for that, um, type of thing. Uh, so obesity is much more complex than just smoking because it involves multiple substances and, and multiple actions during the day as opposed to just lighting a cigarette and smoking it. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 hard to compare the two. That's a wonderful um, answer. It's clear you understand it. You've probably had that before. And, you know, and I ask it not because I believe or endorse any of that sort of stuff, but I know that this is sort of conversation people have. And, you know, I think this discussion was a really good exploration of all this stuff for anyone who holds thoughts or opinions that fall anywhere on the spectrum of this stuff. Though so this is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Um, Frick, let's do the Instagram one. Fucking totally. Andrew kind of threw me under the bus here because we script some of these questions and he's like, Dean, tell them you're struggling to get 10K followers. And I'm like, I tell everyone almost every week I'm struggling with it because I want the swipe up function. All the things I could do with the swipe up function are just like endless, in my opinion. Um, you're a pretty big deal, man. You got 75,000. It's not as much as Dr. Oz, but like <laughs> that's pretty big. Um, and with that comes a lot of, I guess, well, comments, likes, shares. It also comes with the bombardment of probably frustrating comments and things of that nature. So how do you kind of navigate the bombardment of all this crazy information that other people put on and then how that brings some of the questions your way and you kind of get to deal with all the bullshit? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know if you guys saw my video on how to make the the little kind of infographic meme type of things that kind of blew up. But yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. yeah, we actually I shared so, the hell out of that with some uh, a bunch of fitness professionals who are trying to learn how to do infographics during our earlier episodes. Yeah. So yeah, like we actually use that specific video. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, so it's kind of the the way I saw it was look I. I I made this thing with the peanut butter cups, uh, Justin's organic peanut butter cups versus regular peanut butter cups. And I was basically like, don't believe health halos. I put it on Facebook and Instagram. And at the time, I only had a couple thousand Instagram followers, maybe just posting pictures of my food. I didn't know what the hell to do with Instagram. But my Facebook was relatively large. And on Facebook, that post, it was like a couple years ago, went just gangbuster viral, like thousands and thousands of shares to where then people were just ripping it off, taking my name off and doing it themselves. But that's fine. So ideally I would have just understood that and then just made tons and tons of comparisons like that. But I didn't Carter good, who you guys should have on the podcast. Oh, yeah. um, he, who is, that's who him, is Jordan's 
Jordan's what's that? That's him. He took it and made it big. Well, well, so he 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 was Jordan Science. Uh, he, he's like a, um, a, a business a, client. Yeah, business yeah. client. They kind of work together. He started doing similar, and I don't know if he got the idea from me. He might have just done it himself. I have no idea. But he started doing it and, and grew from very small to like pretty quickly 30k, uh, relatively quickly. Oh, yeah. Jordan then asked Jordan working with Gary V was trying to grow his Instagram. And it was literally one year ago, literally one year ago today when I saw Jordan, uh, in New York and I only had 3000 followers at the time. He had 12,000 followers at the time, one year ago. All right. We were having breakfast and, um, he was talking about how he's trying to grow. He wanted to hit a hundred K in within a year. And that was his goal, but he was doing lots of these little videos, giving just great content amazing content, just videos and all sorts of stuff of himself showing exercises. And he had a very good, you know, solid following, but it wasn't explosive, right? So after that visit, literally a year ago in New York, he asked me if he could post that peanut butter cup meme infographic. And I said, sure. He posted it. And instead of getting, I, I we'd have to go back to it, but I showed in the video, I, I believe he was only getting about six, you know, at the most 600 likes per thing he posted, which is still very good, mind you. Yeah. He, he got more than double the likes on that one infographic. And he, I think in his mind, it must have clicked and, and said, holy cow. And then he's talking to Carter, who'd already been doing it and grew exponentially kind of doing a similar thing. Like I said, I don't know if Carter learned it, you know, looking at whatever that was. He, I, I think he might have. Yeah. I got the real story after this. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good, good. So. <laughs> So, so then all of a sudden Jordan goes, well, she, he went gangbusters posting three times, three times per day with, with the infographics. Um, and he just started growing very quickly, just like Carter. And I kind of saw them doing it. I'm like, well, geez, I better start doing it too. Not nearly as consistent. Um, which is part of the reason why if you're more consistent, posting three new, very good content pieces, uh, very showy and, and they're, their design skills were much better, especially Carter's design skills, much better than mine. But uh, because they were so consistent, they blew up exponentially. I think it's kind of leveled off now, but um, uh, it was just a kind of a cool story. So I went from 3,000 to now I'm at 75,000. And I, I personally like to do some infographics. I like to do some funny memes to kind of poke fun at people because yeah. it's just it's more my personality. I like to kind of joke around more. I don't like to be too, too, too serious about one thing. Um, but, uh, the comments, yeah, like you said, that the comments, they actually, they're not as bad as they were at the beginning when I started growing very fast because people didn't know me. And so like when people don't know my humor or whatever, they, they just say like ridiculous things. Someone called me, <laughs> okay, Dr. Fuckwad. Like, <laughs> I was just like, great name. That was actually that was actually one of the funnier, <laughs> one of the funnier comments. But I, I even like I posted a, one one time. I remember I posted um, uh, essentially why meal replacements work, and the, if if you you cannot argue with the data, the strong data behind how powerful meal replacement shakes work for weight loss. I mean, they're if if someone does them, they're they're better than anything unless you're giving drugs or giving surgery. So anyway, I posted about here's how they work. I essentially showed someone who 
uh, eats a decent meal, then for some reason forgot their lunch or just has struggles with lunch and goes eats out for with their colleagues at, at work and then has a decent dinner and they can't lose weight. Well, boom, they replace that lunch with a protein shake and they drop 500 calories from their day and they lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. And I got just so attacked by these crazy people that were just like, <laughs> I cannot believe you're, you're telling people not to eat real food. I'm just like, are you, are you guys serious right now? Like the studies are abound. It's not even, it's not even, it's not even my personal opinion. I mean, it is my, it's what works in the clinic, but it's, it's not even like I just made this up. It's just like, and so you get tons of comments, but actually the, the, the more people that follow you that understand your philosophy yeah. and the stronger your group is, the less the trolling has become actually, even though I've grown bigger, the trolling has become less, um, which I think, uh, is due to people understanding your personality and what you're preaching. Um, that's just my opinion. Anyway. You're probably filtering out the, the crazies who found you cause, Oh, that looks cool. And then they disagree with something you said. And then they got really pissed off. I remember that one. I know you've shared stuff about artificial sweeteners, which always gets the crazies really well. Uh, that's I worse. just love the one comment, like Dr. Dr. Fuckwad. I always like write down like potential names for a podcast. We, and can't, we, we can't use that. <laughs> no, I know, but it would be so funny. Like <laughs> Dr. Spencer Nudolsky, AKA Dr. Fuckwad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I, I think people, cause like chances are some of your followers will follow, find this podcast and it'll be their first introduction. That will to go it. viral. They'll yeah. Like, they'll see that. And then they'll, the, they might not get the idea of this stuff. It's kind of funny. You mentioned Carter. Good. He was actually our well, six. It's funny. The plot six, thickens with that. So great. I'll explain that yeah. one. So the plot thickens. So we had Carter good on kind of right when we had this podcast and like he literally blew this thing up. Like we had so many people come look at it right after he posted it. But after it, after like when we were off air, we're talking about like infographics because we had a little bit of that in the podcast. And he's like, yeah, like, um, I think Jordan put him on it, on it. So Jordan was, he's like, oh, I like that one comparison you did. You should do more of it. And then obviously you saw it. He went from like, I think like a thousand to 30,000 within like two months. And if you look back, you can kind of see the progression. And then Jordan was like, I'm going to do that. That fucking works. But really, maybe you started it all by doing it. And then Jordan got the idea, told Carter to do it. But Jordan last week actually admitted it because I like, I like Jordan. What's the real story? Like, did, did Carter do it or did, did you start it? And then he, he, he let us know that Carter definitely started it. But I should have asked him, did Dr. Fuckwad start it? <laughs> yeah, and <the> Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just think that's so good. But anyways, the plot thickens. So I don't even know. Maybe you actually started the whole infographic food comparison thing, which skyrocketed everyone else copying it, myself included. Like you might be the creator of it. You might have started a movement. That could be your legacy more so than anything else you've ever done. FYI. Well, yeah, that's what I show in the video because I show it. I was like, look, I, I posted this two yeah. years ago and it went gangbuster viral. And then it was only this past year. I, and again, I don't know if Carter actually, I'll have to ask him. He's a friend yeah. of mine. And it may be that he just thought of it organically. And yeah. the thing is, I don't know if I don't know if I got the idea from looking at somebody else's. But it was I was in the grocery store just a few. It was a few couple of years ago, and I was looking at the Justins, and I was looking at a regular peanut butter cup, and I'm like, these are the fucking same. But like, <laughs> but people people sit there and argue and go, no, but the ingredients in Justins is way better. It's like, look, do you understand that the amount of like. The, the small little additives in these peanut butter in the regular Reese's peanut butter cups are so minuscule they will have no difference on your uh, on your body composition. 
Now, health-wise, it's also going to be so minuscule. And the other thing, the reason I thought about it as well is because I had multiple patients who were not losing weight, and, and they kept saying, I don't know how this is possible. I eat so healthy. I eat all organic. And I'm like, it don't give a shit if it's organic or not. That doesn't make a shit difference. And so it's this health halo that people think. And so they probably see Justin's, oh, it's organic. I can eat the shit out of this. It's the same as a Reese's peanut butter cup. I personally like the taste of of, of Justin's better because uh, I like that more dark chocolate taste and and the peanut butter in it. But like it doesn't it doesn't make a damn difference for body composition. And I I don't think there's been a randomized controlled trial comparing <laughs> health outcomes. I'm pretty sure there never will be. It would th- th- there would be no effect. I know it because it's just it's the same shit. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm just going off. <laughs> no, that's great. This I is- think. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. And this is this is good because we try to get I feel uh, like our guests a little bit more animated with the stuff like you mentioned. So anyone who is like a Spencer listener or or fan who's first time finding us, and he's mentioned a few people. So we did do a podcast with Carter Good. That's one of our earlier ones. You know, you guys would love that one. It gets deeper into the infographic discussion and, and food comparisons. He mentioned Kelly Coffee. We actually had Kelly on and we got a really, Kelly can be really provocative and really fun. And so we really brought her to life on that one. And that one was good. And then if you're listening to this one, the one that we just released before it is Jordan Syatt. So we've hit on these points a few times. I, I always like to do this. If you really like what we did here, try out those episodes. And, you know, if you like all that stuff, stick around for a while. Anyway, enough for promoting us. <laughs> Oh, what it was Sohi too. Oh yeah, yeah. fuck Sohi. Yeah, See? like Sohi was amazing. And She's actually our all... most downloaded podcast. She's about to tip over five thousand. Yeah. She 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 brings a she's attractive. I'm not saying you're not attractive. So I would compare your attractiveness based on podcast numbers. So so he's the most attractive person and the smart. Well, she's the smartest because she has the most listens. So she's smarter than you. <laughs> All right, I get. Well, then I gotta somehow. I'm gonna like yeah. pay thousands of dollars to it, funnel people into you know, your. <laughs> that's probably the best course of action because you you really should care what we think about like your attractiveness and smartness. Like it, yeah, yeah, that's true. I do care. And of course, for the people who are going to be instantly offended by that conversation in all honesty <laughs> so he's actually a brilliant professional and oh uh, she laid it out like, uh, she, she, she's super she, she, uh, fuck she, she was a firecracker about that shit I was, it was interesting like she just laid it all out and like no you fucking do this this and this and this and like everyone loved it yeah and she yeah and she's beautiful yeah and then you could have like the next episode after that which was dr mike Isertel, who's probably a terrifying looking individual but uh he was actually one of our most popular because he's really funny and smart too yeah. yeah, good guy. I like I like both of them. Cool. So enough with our self-promotion. People yeah. find us on their own anyway. Uh, one of the things I always find kind of interesting is when you talk about weight loss statistics, and you alluded to this a couple times, they're pretty grim. Uh, but they're really heavily skewed by the yo-yo dieters who lose the weight and then regain it over and over. Uh, some have even made the statement in our industry that, quote, the best way to successfully lose weight is to never gain it in the first place, end quote. But we do know that some people are successful. You've worked with a lot of them. What do the successful people do differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, if I could boil it down to a, a sound bite, it's the people that buy in. And, and I, I, it's, it's almost like some, you know, people say obsession is a little bit of a, a negative connotation. If I could, if obsession is like a 10, if I could dial it back a notch on like a, like a, you know, if you have like your volume on the, on a stereo or something and they're notches, if I could just dial it back a notch or two, or instead of, you know, trying to boil a pot of water, you have it on super high heat and you just dial it back a couple notches. I would say it's close to obsession and it's, it's this extreme buy-in 
into the lifestyle thing. They are the most successful. It's it's something about uh, it's it's yeah. Of course, energy balance matters. Working out, exercise, the diet's most important. Blah 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 blah. But there's something about becoming just driven, but and almost obsessed. I don't want to say obsessed because the people that become obsessed, they they there is a negative thing and it starts running their life. But it's it's almost to that point, but not there. And, and they just run with it. And it, it's more so than any little, you know, tracking your macros. Yeah, those things are, those things are great tools and strategies to, to get people to lose weight. But it's, it's a, ultimately that buy-in. Uh, obviously, I, I, I give the tools to my patients, but it's when I can get them to buy in and, and, and like love it, that's when they're the successful ones. I can pump people up full of medicines. Uh, to take care of their appetite, which is, of course, part of the t- my toolbox. Give them all sorts of strategies for diet. I have an awesome support group online. I uh, connect with them via my apps and things like that. But ultimately, if I can change them into really getting excited and buying in, that's where the success is. Well, we t- we actually, this is like a perfect segue into like, I guess, your kind of creation in this industry or like your advancement so a lot of industries have been disrupted by like new business models so let's let's look at uber and airbnb they kind of flipped it upside down and created something huge you're kind of a pioneer for providing medicine over the internet with steady md so kind of what you were alluding to here could you kind of Mm -hmm. explain how that works and what do you feel the future of medicine looks like in terms of that kind of context yeah, so well, I'll just give you the brief rundown of how this all happened. Uh, I've, you know, Precision Nutrition, right? Yeah. Well, so um, you know, back when I was just starting residency, I was talking to John Berardi. How can we actually do doctoring over the internet just the way they do coaching over the internet? Lots of roadblocks, licensure in every state. If I wanted to do in Canada, you have to like do this other certification. It's basically impossible uh, to do it like that. Lots of lots of red tape, so we canned that discussion and never really looked back at it. Well, fast forward a few years, it was last year, um, actually at an obesity conference, uh, one of these guys uh, with SteadyMD called me, one of the, their, their founders, and we had kind of emailed back and forth. A guy from the Fitness Summit, who I, who I see every year, Robbie Garrison, he actually put me in touch with a, one of the co-founders. And kind of talked back and forth about how they had this idea of putting primary care online. And I thought it was interesting, but they're in their initial stages um, of trying to grow. And it was just, I knew I've tried it before. So I'm like, the, the red tape is too much. Talk, talk to me when you guys grow a little bit more and can talk serious. Cause I, I don't, I don't have time. I already have my own clinic. I don't, I don't have time to, to, you know, use my off time to try to figure this out with you guys. Well, so, they eventually convinced me like, look, what if, what if you could get, you know, all your patients or all your followers online all over the United States as patients? And I said, well, yeah, everybody always asks me if they can be my patient, but I can't because I'm only licensed in a couple states and the telemedicine thing is, you know, the, the legalities of it are just awful. Well, so they said, make a post about it. We'll make a link and see how many people from all over the United States sign up. I made a f- stupid Facebook post uh, on a Friday afternoon, which is the worst time to ever post because everybody's going home, getting ready to, to hang out for the weekend or whatever. And with that single post that was not boosted, 400 people signed up to be my patient across the United States. 
paying a hundred bucks a month or something like that. And I, it was at that moment that I was like, well, that's interesting. Yada, yada, yada. They said, we want you as our first full-time doctor. And, uh, you, can you quit your job in the clinic? (laughs) That was, that was hard because I was trying to develop this huge obesity center, like, and I was going to run it for one of the largest hospital systems in Maryland. And it was going to be a big deal. Well, it kind of, it was fortuitous or whatever you want to say. Um, uh, things because of how big this hospital system I was working with, things went too slowly. I actually hated being in the clinic. I had a new daughter that I wanted to be with more often. And I also wanted to create my own business, not only with the steady MD and telemedicine, but I wanted to create, um, like kind of what you guys are talking about, a big movement also. And I needed time to do that. So I said, I, I quit my job and I started this, uh, full time. So essentially the idea is that why, why should, why should patients have to wait a half hour, take a half day off work, wait for a half an hour in the waiting room with a bunch of other sick patients so that they catch the flu and whatever these people are bringing around just to come in and talk to me for five minutes about their thyroid test. They got done, uh, you know, a week ago where I could have just sent them a text message and said, everything's good. I'm not changing your dose or, Hey man, I got to or hey woman, <laughs> I gotta up, up your up your dose of thyroid or decrease it or whatever. There's no overhead. So in in, in the '90s, you know this isn't in a problem in Canada, but in the '90s, uh, you know it used to be that doctors would graduate medical school and residency, their training, and they'd put their shingle out and um, they'd have their own business. Well, in the '90s, hospital systems want to kind of create their own sales funnel, so they went and and basically offered salaries and said, you don't have to become a business person anymore. No need to, to have somebody clean your toilets or, or pay for electricity or worry about paying the office manager. We'll take care of it. We'll give you a salary. All you have to worry about is, is, is practicing medicine. And everybody said, wow, this is amazing. I just have to do my job and actually love what I do. Unfortunately, you lose all your autonomy. You end up having to see a ton of patients to make up for the overhead of all the coding and billing and, and the cost of the rent of the space. So this kind of brings it back a little bit. It, it leans up the operation as much as possible. There is a direct payment between the, the patients and the doctor uh, instead of going through insurance, but it allows you to talk directly to the doctor. No need to call and get a wait on hold for 20 minutes to talk to a nurse to then relay the message to the doctor to never probably even hear from the doctor if you're unless you're lucky. You talk directly to me. But it comes at a little bit of a, a price, but it's still affordable because we don't have the overhead of of a huge office building. Now, of course, it doesn't replace having an in-person doctor if you need a physical exam, if you're having you know some sort of urgent issue. But for the most part, I can take care of pretty much anything chronic for the most part and preventive. And I can do a lot of acute care that just doesn't need to be seen in person. So it, 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 it's, we have an archaic way of, of yep. practicing medicine now, and we've essentially uh, changed that with SteadyMD um, and, and, and telemedicine. And there are other people out there trying to do similar stuff, but um, my kind of thing is, is using fitness as medicine. So if you want a doctor who understands your lifestyle, you would choose me or my partners who would basically recruit other doctors who are into that type of thing. And you basically just value people's time more or less, and there's a money 
percent to that but like like you said when you're dealing in minutia with the calls back and forth and it's just inefficient and, and that's time for people which yeah. like most people you don't most people don't have or like it's very inconvenient well, i think exactly it's a system i think it has a lot of potential like you described to hopefully revolutionize the industry and get rid of some of the you know the bureaucracy and, and the clumsiness of it the inefficiencies for sure though i'm excited to see where it's going to go i think a lot of people are probably listening to this going like oh you can't do that over the internet and i think other people are like light bulb going holy shit that sounds incredible where do i sign up actually that's a good question so where are you licensed right now let's say someone's listening going they're in alberta where we are and they're like oh fuck i want to deal with them so who yeah so not to- not in canada we're, yeah, we're gonna have we're going to have Canadian doctors at some point, but uh, that's a whole nother licensing nightmare. But in, in the United States, I'm in uh, North Carolina, Maryland, Virginia, New Jersey, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Tennessee. We'll be in Alabama, Arizona soon, uh, Illinois, California, Texas, uh, Florida, uh, Missouri, um, I think there's some others in there. I know I'm probably missing missing some, but um, uh, I'll be in essentially like 70% of the United States and eventually 100%. And if I'm not, then it's then I'll have very good partners who are uh, uh, licensed in the other states to kind of make up for that. Cool. Uh, this is kind of the point in the podcast where we'll mention books. Um, and I'll... I'll, I'll I'll preface this by like Dean, Dean Somerset, for example, read *Sapiens*, so something that impacted his career or his life. Do you have anything on your end that is kind of that book for you in terms of your career and life? So I, I more had mentors that kind of pushed me in certain directions, but I, I kind of like take it away from fitness. I, I actually like Ramit's uh, Sethi's uh, *I Will Teach You to Be Rich*, and I, I, I say that because. You know, a lot of people don't understand finances, uh, but I, when I was an intern in uh, residency, I was just trying to learn about it, and he spoke to me, and now it's, what's funny is he's become a very good friend. We have, you know, dinner once a month or every other mm-hmm. month, We hang, and uh, just not even in that, like, uh, not even in the regard of, like, you know, coaching. I'm not a business. It's just we're friends. We talk talk shit to each other and it's really funny really funny discussions and just he's a he's a regular guy good great guy but i, I read, you know whatever it was six years ago eight years yeah seven years ago i read his book and i just loved it and so i for you know did what he said and now i've you know slowly built up investments and stuff like that just very simple it's not it's not even rocket science at all like what people think it is and so that's a book that's that i recommend to a lot of my um uh mentees or whatever the people that ask me for advice and i say look the first thing you should do what you do is do is do is if you ever think about trying to uh, make money um before trying to get into all this other weird stuff just read this book understand finances get your stuff in order implement it then come back and talk to me so that's 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 the book that i'd recommend it's a little bit different but um that's actually sitting on my on my uh coffee table as part of a list of stuff like i tend to do more audiobooks now but that uh, that's sitting there and it's one of the ones in the queue. Uh, I really want to make sure that we pointed out the fact that you've written a great book too called The Fat Loss Prescription, which goes to a lot of the stuff we've talked about with, you know, dealing with obesity. So do you want to mention that for a second? Yeah. So I wrote it a few years ago. I'm, I'm, 
I'm always trying to update it. I'll, I'll maybe come out with a second release at some point here soon. But essentially, I wanted to bring obesity guidelines and very science-based obesity medicine, uh, weight loss medicine, uh, and just put it into a small, very digestible book. You know, you read some of these books, and the reason that they're super huge and lots of fluff is because publishers want these huge, long books. But essentially, when it comes to weight loss and medical weight loss and science-based obesity uh, medicine, you know, you can condense it down. So it's only like 100 pages at most, and it basically talks about what is needed for uh, weight loss to occur, which we all understand that, but in a digestible manner. And then it talks about the medicines and conditions that can impair weight loss and then the medicines that can be used to help with weight loss if needed, and then the surgeries, of course. So it's, it's, it's like taking all those scientific guidelines and kind of putting it into a um, – a, a digestible uh, uh, format. No, that's awesome. Uh, we have a lot of both enthusiasts and fitness professionals listening. So definitely the fitness professionals, that's one you might want to take a good look at so you, you get exposed to that knowledge. And then again, any of our enthusiasts who where you know, weight loss is a personal goal, uh, there might be some really valuable stuff in there too. So now, Part of the point of all this stuff is to have people be able to find you and have access to you the way that a lot of our listeners now, because they found Carter good early on, they follow his his work, his Instagram. So where can everybody follow you? Yeah, I would, I would do both. Uh, of course, I have my blog, drspencer.com, D-R-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is at dr nadolsky some asshole has dr spencer i don't know who it is but uh so you got to go to dr nadolsky d-r-n-a-d-o-l-s-k-y and then you can find me on facebook dr d-r period s-p-e-n-c-e-r nadolsky n-a-d-o-l-s-k-y i would follow those um as i I put all my good information on those uh mediums and then eventually we'll have at dr fuckwad (laughs) yeah well that's that's coming i should just change that that should be like your alter ego where like you like literally just fucking just arrowed everything i I basically i am the fuck that that's that you said it said it's a self-fulfilling prophecy i I just want to go back and find out who said it because like it's such a simple beak like there's like comments where you're like that's stupid like this guy's a troll that one you probably laughed at you're like okay that was good because it's like so simple and direct and like it's just lashing at you you're like fuck you got me i'm actually thinking about using it in the episode title now we'll figure out a way to maybe if that's okay with you yeah your followers understand that it is sort of just if someone said that to me i would be like i would give them i would put claps on there i'd be like you know what good job and maybe send them a free book yeah yeah here you you get you get a free book that's that's great uh Cool, man. We're gonna we're gonna end this, but th- thanks for coming out, man. And if anyone listening to this, that's um, Doctor Fuckwad's followers. You know what? Give us a five star rating. You know, what? drop a comment. We we don't actually mean it. He's he's an awesome doctor. I'm sure he's not a doctor, Oz. So we appreciate ratings. Uh, drop drop a review. That's all we got. So yeah, other we, than that, signing we, off. We don't bring on idiots onto this podcast. We bring on people that we actually want to share with you guys, and then. Like we were talking about earlier, if you're someone who knows Spencer and is just discovering us, we've got a bunch of his friends on episodes too. So if you want to support them, again, Sohi Lee is a really great example of that. They're good friends. Go listen to her episode if you really like it because it's one of her best. Then maybe stick around and check out some more. So thanks. Shut up and sit down.